Treasured teacher, I pray to you for the sake of all beings. Give me energy to let belief in self fall away. Give me energy to see through life's illusions. Give me energy to end reactive thinking. Give me energy to know mind has no beginning. Give me energy to let go of confusion. Give me energy to know whatever arises is beyond words. Good afternoon and evening. <clears throat> Someone asked Master Shurto, what am I supposed to do? Shurto responded, why are you asking me? Where else can I find what I'm looking for? Shurto responds, are you sure you lost it? Are you sure you lost it? What are you looking for? This exchange echoes how I often feel about Zen practice. The teacher, the practice life constantly taking away all ground. The practice instructions, as Jogan said, so simple. Nature of mind our nature, so it's natural to us, this practice of serene illumination. Don't even need to say it's a practice, right? It's just the nature of our being. So simple. Naguma, awakened yogini, great teacher in the Tibetan tradition, often called Lady of Illusion, says of this, it's so simple we don't believe it. It's so simple we don't believe it. Well, maybe that's what practice is, is learning to actually trust ourselves and trust our direct experience. And so we sit, we breathe, we walk, we do all those things that humans do and we just pay attention and see. See, oh, what can I trust? What am I trusting? I often think of trust as a verb. We're actually doing it all the time. We catch up to ourselves, we catch it. We learn that this life can be trusted, that it's so much more than what the mind, our conditioned mind, thinks, or the ways it tries to keep us safe. This collective dream that we're believing. So simple, we don't believe it. And so the mind says, surely I'm stuck. Surely this isn't working. Surely I need to do a different practice. Surely I'm not doing this right. Surely something is wrong. Something is wrong. Surely this can't be it. This. And so we stay with it. 
hour after hour, returning day after day, seeping year after year, lifetime after lifetime, watching doubts, angst, longing, heartache all arise. All the textures of the human heart, the human experience arise, captivate attention, disappear, arise, captivate attention, disappear, arise. Arise, disappear. Seeing the mind reach for what it likes. Reach for what it likes. Looking for satisfaction. How long does satisfaction, sensory satisfaction last? How long does a sense moment last? Do we ever get what we think we want? Could it be that this is it? This, this right here is exactly what we're looking for. This breath. this moment of wakefulness can just rest. That's what Sherto is saying. Naguma also says it's so close, we don't recognize it. It's so close, we don't recognize it. Could actually be right here. This is a poem by Upachala. Another collection of sisters. So her name translates as the second sister. I left home soon after my sister. She found a cave, I a community. Typical middle sister, always the social one. The voice inside my head always used to ask, why do I have to be the middle sister? Never first, never last. When is it my turn to feel special? These are our stories, first, second, third. I thought the path would make me feel special, but instead it sang such deep, rich tones that the voice inside my head just couldn't help but sing along. If you're going to tell yourself a story, why not tell yourself a story of freedom? If you're going to tell yourself a story, why not tell yourself a story of freedom? Aren't we telling ourselves stories all the time? A mind loves stories. To be a human being, I think we love stories. It helps us create meaning. It helps us make sense of the world. Often when people are sharing deep experience, they rely on metaphor to give texture, to give imagery, to give life to 
what they know to be true. Mm. We see that in Hengzhi's poetic, practical work of practice instructions. There's nothing wrong with this beautiful, creative function of the mind to tell story. But why not tell one of freedom? Why not say, oh, I'm already free. This is freedom. This is the awakened mind. This practice is one of liberation. Let's tell the story of our collective liberation. Let that be the cultural narrative. Because our liberation is entangled. The Bodhisattva vow recognizes this. Our liberation, our freedom is connected to every single other being, the great earth. I often invoke Shakyamuni Buddha's um, enlightenment utterance. The night Shakyamuni Buddha, or the early morning Shakyamuni Buddha was awakened, they saw the morning star and they said, I, together with all beings now and and the great earth now are simultaneously awake. I like to invoke that during Sashin because that's what we're doing here. Jogan yesterday gave this beautiful image of our interconnection. I love that image of the pyramid and all the sticks and you pull one away. We're all leaning. We inter-are with each other. We're sitting inside of each other's awareness. I remember when I first had the, a taste of that. It's life-changing, and yet it's so natural, of course. You can only happen inside of my mind. I am happening inside of your mind. So our liberation is entangled, as is our suffering. And knowing that, knowing that my mind affects all of you. Inspires liberation. Because my suffering, my close-heartedness, my ill will, my delusion is affecting you. If you could even say it's mine or yours. So this practice of serene illumination, it can be harrowing. It's constantly releasing you, reshaping you. Seeing the self as malleable, all sense experience as malleable. It's like constant rug pulling, groundless ground, groundless ground. Have you even been able to pin you down during this week? What does you refer to? It's a serious question. What do, when the mind says I, which the mind says a lot, I imagine, mind does. The mind says I, what is the mind referring to? What is this I? Where is this I? 
I have a thought. I just finished yoga. Just finished yoga. But who? Who? Where? Where is the one who finished yoga? Is this body the same body that was lying on the floor? Some aspects look similar. Doesn't quite feel the same. At least as far as I can remember. I have this mental image of yoga that happened 10 minutes ago. And I condensed the whole 30-minute session into like one mental image, which is interesting. And then how many sensations occurred during yoga? Physical, mental, emotional, auditory, visual, countless countless sensations that whole period this eye was continuously being formed and dismantled formed and dismantled and i grab a few images from the past and say yes that was me i am that way i'm flexible i am tight i am i have these beliefs about my body I think these kind of thoughts, my body feels this way. Byron Katie, who was introduced to the monastery a few years ago, has these two really essential questions. Is it true? And where's your proof? I really like that one. Where's your proof? I have this mental image, and that's all I have left of yoga, of myself in the past and it's just an image and it really doesn't represent the truth it's a partial truth at best you probably have become familiar with this aspect of the mind that's quite cute it narrates it's like i did yoga i am flexible i'm going to have tea after this when is she going to stop talking it's like preparing to write a memoir. It would be a kind of boring one, though. These I am thoughts, often quite mundane, inaccurate, partial truths. But they seem to hold together this string of a self that makes the self feel constant reliable, permanent even. But it's a sense of self, right? It's a sense of self. A sense that I am individual, I am autonomous self. Yet, when I look, I haven't really been able to locate it. When I look closely, it vanishes. Yet there's this sense. So Zen practice invites us into investigation, to get intimate with experience, to not be fooled by apparent truths, partial truths, things that don't quite stack up. Before Sashin, I was watching um, a teaching by the Dalai Lama 
and it's, it was his 85th birthday earlier this month. And kind of offhandedly in his teaching, he said that every morning when he wakes up, he scans through the body, mind, and heart experience looking for the self. It's a, a practice in his tradition. And I was just like, that really struck me. This person who has practiced his entire lifetimes, right? But his entire life, at least. And so thoroughly practiced. And every morning, that's the go-to practice is this search for the self. It's like cleaning up any residuals before starting the day. So I want to um, explore this practice with us. So I think it's an interesting way to set up your meditation of serene illumination. The self, empty yet apparent. And we can verify in our experience the emptiness of self, the unfindability. So right now, I invite you to summon the sense of self. How do you know your you? How do you experience yourself as an individual? It's probably not too complicated. Just summon this sense of I am. And then scan through the body, the sensations of the body, and see if you can pin down this sense of I am, this sense of self. And the instruction is to look like you actually will find it. So it'll look with that kind of like real genuine curiosity. One teacher who is here said, look like you're like looking for the sock that went missing in the washer, but you know, like you put it in so it should be there or the dryer. It's usually the dryer that eats socks. Look like really look like you know you have this sense of self, so where is it? Is it in the feet? Sensations of the feet, legs, seat. We've been talking so much about that sense of rootedness. Is that the self? The internal organs, the belly, the buttocks, torso, abdomen. Looking through and paying particular attention to where there's maybe a mass of sensation or intense sensations, tension. And any time the mind says, oh, this is it, this is the self, look closer, get more intimate, 
dive in. And really look. And also in this exploration, notice what you do find. Are sensations permanent? Does anything last for more than a moment in experience? Bones, sensations of solidity in the body. Is it really solid? Sensations of depth in the body, sensations of heart, lungs. Perhaps you're discovering that the body itself is unfindable, unlocatable, flashing, morphing in and out of awareness, in and out of wakefulness. The hands, the self, this is the self in the hands, the throat, the neck. Then, then you get to the head and the face. And this is, I think, a place to pay particular attention. We often locate ourselves in the face. Is the self behind the eyes? in the eyes, in the brain. Is there any aspect of embodied experience that's graspable even? do the same process in the mind stream. Is the self in thoughts? You think the thought I am. Right after thinking it, where does it go? Any thought endure over time? Perhaps 
The self is where thoughts arise. Does that have a location? Or is the self out there in the visual field? Is it seeing? Can you pin that down? It's in the auditory field. Look for the one who is looking, the one who is searching for the self. Can you even find that one? So this isn't nihilism. So we're not trying to prove we don't exist. That's not the Buddhist teachings. Empty yet apparent, unfindable, ungraspable. So these sensations arise. Sensations of body, sensations of mind, sensations of self. The self doesn't refer to anything in particular. It's constantly changing. And this practice can help us resonate in the truth of emptiness, openness. I like that definition as well, or that translation. Because emptiness can mean to us voidness. Spaciousness, openness, the openness of self, the spaciousness of self. More than this body. Kangzhir says the sage practitioner has no fixed self And yet nothing is not himself, herself, themselves. I think of this also as like cleaning up the residual. I have the experience in meditation of sitting down to meditate and having this subtle location And usually it's around an area of tension. And so then I'm creating a duality of like meditating from somewhere or locating the body in spacious awareness, in serene illumination. That subtle tendency to reify the body or locate the body can be opened by doing this kind of meditation. 
Another way of doing it, and this is like a quicker way, is to imagine a diamond or a vajra is the traditional way. It's kind of like a, what a vajra looks like, or a diamond. It's something that's um, indestructible. And you just ignite this diamond, empower this diamond to fly around everywhere, to go through the body, through the mind, through thoughts, through visual field, through any kind of form. And just like you're sitting in meditation and just letting this, thi- this diamond, like a bee, or like a remote control airplane through the body, through the mind, through anything that appears solid. It's breaking up our conceptual framework, allowing, it's like Manjushri sword, allowing concepts and reification to just be can be so freeing to let ourselves experience the openness, the spaciousness of the body. The ungraspability of thought, of mind stream. And the ways that we reify the visual field or the objects in the visual field as solid. The, the diamond can go right through them, can like weave go through the floor, go up through the ceiling. See the spaciousness. We're, the, we're f- floating in space. The spaciousness of the sense fields. The, the flickering, the flimsiness of the sense fields. So these um, like setting up meditation practices, you can do them for a whole 25 minute period. You could do them for five minutes right in the beginning of a meditation session. It's setting up the mind, the heart for serene illumination, for just simply resting, wakeful, rooted, allowing. And then with this spaciousness as a framework, we can rest openly in serene illumination, nothing fixed, nothing reified, one continuous flowing dancing field of experience, even that not reified. Hungzhir says in Breezing Through the World, I love that title, Breezing through the world. There's always here in the summer, mostly always. I've fallen in love with just that sound of the wind. Hungshir says, vast space is all embracing. 
So we're just exploring that, right? The same as ultimate emptiness. The same as ultimate openness. That space is all embracing. Relax. That space is all embracing the same as ultimate openness. If not a single dust is distinguished outside, then you can adapt to changing circumstances. So if we don't reify anything outside or concretize anything outside, but let it be open, then we can respond. We don't have a fixed idea of how the zendo should look or how when we walk out the door, what it should be like. Or even that if there is a door, no expectations, then we can circumstances like the bamboo adapts to the wind. I love watching the bamboo sway in the wind. Just like an expression of receiving and moving with circumstance. I often walk by the bamboo and then just like do some bamboo moves. Like, just it reminds me of how to listen and respond. If not a single dust is distinguished outside, then you can adapt to changing circumstances. If not one speck is left over inside, then immediately you can abide in meditation. Free of reification. So that was Hungzhir. This is Kisei. All things have so much room so much room to be in this practice of welcoming and allowing. All things have so much room to breathe, to be themselves, to be as they are. It's like you're giving life permission to be itself. You're giving yourself permission to be the most genuine it is, as it is. Looking out at this floor, and it doesn't have to be the conceptual label floor and then all we put on to what a floor is. Like in this practice of just open allowing, things arise and they don't have to be what the mind says they are what our conditioning says it is, or how it's supposed to behave. Just this floor can be a golden field of light. We're sitting in the sky. We're sitting on a cool, lit field. Each of us, a star, surfing in space, flying, soaring on these square flying saucers that we have. This wide open field, spaciousness, openness, 
is a field of infinite potential energy. Everything is empowered to be its own expression. Sometimes call this field prajnaparamita, wisdom beyond wisdom. And it allows people, places, things to be free. Free from our past that we paste and glue on top of reality. Free from our assumptions, our views, our negativity, our ignorance. Free to be. And in that there's so much creativity, so much play, so much possibility in the human mind. So we have koans in our tradition that ask us to hide in a pillar or to create a mountain or to revolve the heavens and the earth. And it's possible like, because all things are mind and mind's nature is open wakeful, not bound by body, not bound by the limitations of time or place. So we can, when we know the nature of mind, we know the nature of all things. And don't get confused with that word knowing when we just are the nature of mind, we are the nature of all things. And there's complete freedom there. There's another teaching from Naguma. Like and dislike are the mind's disease. Certain to drown you in samsara's sea, the sea of suffering. Know that there is nothing here at all. All is illusion. And then, my child, everything is a treasure. Everything is a treasure. Experience arises like magic. If you practice like magic, you will awaken like magic. Through the power of faith. Don't think about your practice. Don't think about what is real or not real. Don't think about anything at all. Don't control what you experience and just rest in how things are. I like the translation of emptiness as openness because openness is full. Emptiness is full. It's full and constantly changing so it's empty and full simultaneous. And so she says, just rest in how things are. Rest in how things are and receive life as blessing, blessing, blessing. Hungzhou says, wander, wander. What is this wander, he asks. And he exclaims it again and again in his practice instructions. Mind is malleable. It is not fixed. All states of mind can change our changing. Shanae said during yoga a couple of days ago, 
Every asana includes the posture of a smile. That, that simple act of being able to take the posture of smile, she said, including sitting asana, sitting meditation, shows us how malleable mind is. So many aspects of experience can show us how malleable mind is, but that one is one you can enact. Another line from Hungzhir, another one of his practice instruction titles is beam through all gloom. When she said that, I put a smile on my face and I realized oh, my feet can smile. My pores can smile. My whole body can smile. Beam through all gloom. It's pointing back to wakefulness. Wakefulness is mind's nature. Sometimes it's likened to a mirror. Wakefulness, clear mirror. Clear mirror of mind and appearances, reflections in the mirror. Sense experience, reflections in the mirror. I used to sit in this image all the time. Leaning back as the bright, clear mirror and allowing experience to dance, play on this mirror, in this mirror. Because, right, it's in the mirror. Things don't, aren't just on the surface, they're reflected in the mirror. The mind and mind's nature and the objects of mind, sense experiences are happening in, it's happening in mind. It's mind happening in mind. Appearances, all appearances, thought, body sensations, color, form, like light forms reflected in mirror. The images do not obstruct the mirror's clarity. Appearances do not obstruct the mind's wakefulness. What a beautiful analogy. A student asks Chao Chu, what is meditation? And he responds, it's not meditation. The student says, why is it not meditation? And Chao Chu says, it's alive, it's alive. Serene illumination is not about maintaining a state of constant calm, pushing down our liveliness, keeping things at bay, being in control. That's what Serena Illumination was criticized for. It's allowing, it's a welcome, it's allowing the liveliness, the unpredictability, the dance of life to be experienced thoroughly. Allowing the texture of emotion on that very fundamental level to move through, to feel deeply. It's the freedom to actually, genuinely 
respond to circumstances, to play, to grieve, to enjoy, to be actually happy for no reason but because you are alive. I'm going to share a teaching from Harada Roshi from this book called Moon by the Window, which is a beautiful collection of calligraphy by Harada Roshi, as well as little short teachings. This one is purple gold light illumines the mountains and rivers. This verse is from the fourth section of Hakuin's Kai on Kakugo. The purple gold light is the radiance that shines forth from the body of the Buddha, awakened being, illuminating the mountains and rivers, shining on everything in this world. The awakening of the Buddha awakens all humans, casting a glow on all things. The sutras tell of a huge dark field filled with countless plants that because of the lack of light can't be plowed or tended. The plants are despondent and melancholy. An awakened being arrives carrying a glowing torch that illuminates the entire field. The plants that have been low and isolated in the darkness stand tall in the light, each astonished to see that it's in the midst of many others. This field is life, and the darkness is not knowing the light of real wisdom. The light-bearing stranger is the Buddha, is an awakened being, is you. No matter how many tens of thousands of people live in the same country, if they can't see one another, each one lives alone. The light of true wisdom helps us to see each other and live harmoniously. The light of the Buddha brings a profound joy. The light of awakening brings a profound joy. If just one person sees their true nature, awakens to this, then everything in existence, all of the trees and grasses and all beings become Buddha, become awake. In this way, just one Buddha's awakening, just your awakening, becomes the true awakening of all beings. One being's awakening illuminates the whole world and brings light to all people. For me, that's an admonition to trust. Trust your light, trust your practice, trust wakefulness and this field of your life. We are all doing this work, illuminating the dark places, the places that we've neglected out of fear, out of conditioning. We're illuminating with our attention, with our intention to sit as open welcome and allow 
allow this process of waking back up our life, liberating the past, freeing ourselves from our conditioning, opening the body. We're coming back to life like the plants in that field. And as we come back to life, this world that we live in comes back to life. Know if you've noticed during the course of this week, but I noticed that my breath gets deeper. My breath is reaching more. Each breath nourishing the organs. My voice is more free. Body more open. I can see people, see my world without my negative filters, without my judgments, without so much criticism and negativity. I can appreciate all the complexity and the simple beauty of a single flower or the smoke clouds from the incense when it's being offered, that subtle sweet smell of plum blossom. I can appreciate these beautiful, genuine, creative, kind people I live with. Actually see them without having to look in their faces. Appreciate their being, their each individual uniquenesses that come out in simple ways. I'm not just seeing my projections, but actually seeing them fresh. This is what Sashin gifts all of us. The field of our life coming back to life. Let all things, all beings, including yourself, be free. Free to be as they are. To be set free from your control, your mental image of how they should be. Allow this play of life. And ask, as Hungzhou asks, what is this wonder? What is this wonder? And don't let your minds come in and answer, but just keep asking. 